You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, corporate strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. Uh, Before we dive in, I'm very excited to announce that the This Just In radio show are broadcast live from the HIMSS 16 annual conference in Las Vegas starting March 1st. We already have a great slate of CEO and celebrity guests confirmed for the show, and I couldn't be more excited. And first of all, it'll be the very first uh, radio show broadcast from HIMSS annual conference. So I'm just honored and and so pleased with the HIMSS team. Uh, And you actually will see a lot more of this rolling out in the coming weeks as HIMSS media begins to package this and uh, share it very broadly. So uh, we're we're excited, and the whole studio, um, Business Radio X and Healthcare Now, is very excited as well. Um, We're even going to have a special stage built to resemble a college game day look and feel. So hopefully everyone is registering for the HIMSS 16 show in Las Vegas, and we'll see you there. Um, But for this episode, my 30th episode, we're going to speak to a good friend, Marianne Yeager, CEO of the Sequoia Project. Welcome back to the show, Marianne. Well, thank you, Justin. It's good to be here. Great to have you. Um, And hopefully you'll join the show and the lineup in Las Vegas as well. So Marianne has been a great friend and industry colleague for many years. Uh, We co-founded the Care Quality Initiative together, uh, as well as many other leaders in the industry, and now serve together on the Sequoia Project's Board of Directors. Uh, And Marianne, before we dive into all things great and what's happening with the Sequoia Project and the world of interoperability, let's rewind just a little bit. And uh, and how'd you get your start in health IT? Well, you know, when I, um, early in my career, I worked for a large commercial health insurance company, and I found myself really, um, really migrating toward working on IT projects. And so that really was formative because it made me realize how much I love the combination of healthcare and information technology. But my real first foray into health IT was when I went to work for a large national clearinghouse. It was uh, working on the, really the administrative and the claim side, but I loved it. And I've really been knee deep in the interoperability space ever since. So it was uh, sort of un, uh, you know, anticipated beginnings and, and which followed a, an entire career path. So it was very formative. Yeah, no, I understand. My uh, foray into health IT was just sheerly, sheerly circumstance. Uh, my neighbor uh, and someone who went to a family business in town up in Massachusetts, in Amherst, Massachusetts, exactly, um, happened to be a, a healthcare IT executive and saw all that I was doing in the military and in college and owned a business. And he said, we want someone like you uh, working for our company. And that's, that got me. I had no idea. Even what, I couldn't even spell health IT at the time, I don't think. <laughs> But um, it was a, a phenomenal opportunity, and I've been in it now for 20 years, not to date myself, but uh, for 20 years, and uh, couldn't have picked a better career path, uh, in my opinion. So let's dive into – thank you. So let's dive into Sequoia Project uh, and, and the problems that, uh, that you're solving in healthcare. So tell us about the Sequoia Project. Well, the Sequoia Project is a nonprofit with a public mission. And we really focus solely on solving challenges to healthcare um, interoperability, secure data sharing nationwide. And we do that by bringing together industry and government 
and really digging in and focusing on the practical challenges that are really, you know, the industry at large is struggling um, in order to really accomplish what we really want to do, and that is to achieve secure, trusted nationwide interoperability. So um, that's really our, our sole focus is in bringing together and convening and building consensus and finding real-world strategies and approaches that can be adopted widespread to really make a substantial impact and move the ball forward. Terrific. And we're going to dive into some of that because I got some, you know, good questions around connections and use cases and all that uh, and the participation. Um, But who's involved today? Because I know I know it's broad. Obviously, I'm on the board. But I mean, for my audience and even for me, we we expand. We have a lot of great people. So who all is involved and what different uh, stakeholders? Well, a big part of solving interoperability means bringing the community together. So we realize that um, it doesn't really rest on the shoulders of any one organization or any one stakeholder group. So the, the groups that are involved in our work include the federal government, so the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, DOD, Social Security Administration, CMS, HHS, Office of the National Coordinator, and then a pretty broad swath of representatives from different parts of the healthcare ecosystem. Um, so we have um, representatives from different associations. You know, you have Weedy and the American Medical Association, uh, pretty substantial engagement from health systems and um, large and, and small, as well as multi-specialty groups, vendors, and, and the like. So it's really a very broad group. Um, and if standards development organizations are also deeply engaged, the research community, public health, so it's really a broad loss of the ecosystem. So diving into that a little bit, um, who are some of the EHR vendors and other health IT players by name? I'd never like to single too many people out, but I mean, just to give my audience an idea of what type of EHR companies, small, large, what other health IT players and so forth. Well, we have a large number, well, a good number of EHR companies. Um, So there are some uh, big players. Cerner is involved in our work, uh, Greenway, um, NetSmart, who's on the behavioral health side, Epic, um, and, and a number of others. There are also um, health IT vendors, HIE vendors. So you have ICA and uh, Optum, Orion. And so it's a really diverse group of health IT companies and many others I'm not listing. We actually have a list on our website yep. um, and others joining every day. So it's exciting. No, I love it. And I certainly got a couple of uh, companies that I'm going to be pushing uh, your way just because I know the mission is so wonderful and, and respected. So how and why um, is the Sequoia Project unique? There's a lot of different consortiums, and you went through a little bit of it. I think it's the broad stakeholder um, strategy is one, but uh, but go through why you guys and, and how the Sequoia Project is unique. Well, the first aspect of what's unique about us is that we are public-private. So we truly bring together industry and government. The federal government is involved in every aspect of what we do. They serve as liaisons to our board of directors. And so in that respect, to help shape the direction and future vision of what the Sequoia takes on. They're also integrally involved in each of our initiatives. So we have the eHealth Exchange, which has been around for several years, started within the federal government um, to really enable data sharing across communities and with the federal government, and then now more broadly between networks through carry quality. So that's very unique, having the active engagement of, of the government and coming together with industry to solve on this. Uh, this issue is, we think is unique. The other unique aspect of Sequoia is that we're a nonprofit with a public mission. So our charge is really focused on addressing interoperability challenges for the betterment of the entire industry. Uh, we also serve as a corporate home 
for multiple independent initiatives that each have their own mission, membership, and governance. So I mentioned the eHealth Exchange, which is connecting communities and connecting with the federal government, and then Care Equality, which in and of itself has its own mission, governance, membership, which is really bridging networks like the eHealth Exchange with others. I think another aspect of why we're very unique is our focus on implementation. So there's so many really great thought leaders doing really important thought leadership work and white papers and, and research in many different areas. When we focus on something, we get really down into the practical real-world approaches. So we focus on what the implementation community, community needs to put into practice to really move the interoperability ball forward. And that's really exemplified by some recent recent work we published around patient matching. The big issue, a lot of people focusing on it. There's been a lot of real important thought leadership white papers and, and done. But when we focus on an issue, we really get down to the brass tacks of what's going to help implementation move forward today. And that's very unique and distinctive in what we're doing. Yeah, so let's dive in there a little bit because I know that white paper, uh, the patient matching white paper was just published. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, we've known for some time that the issues around patient identity and patient matching are really problematic across the board, across the industry. And we wanted to use an opportunity to really get down to the root cause of what specifically is really causing um, there to be such a low level of matching uh, occurring. So there's a blind spot, we think, in the industry. There's been a lot of progress and good work done to have solid identity management and matching practices within an organization. But there is a real disparity between the ability to match consistently between organizations. So we, uh, through our collaborative uh, arrangement with the Care Connectivity Consortium, which is really five pioneering uh, leaders, you know, Mayo, Geisinger, Kaiser Permanente, Intermountain Healthcare, and OCHEN, we really, through in our collaborative work with them, did research over a two-year period to really get to the root cause of what's getting, uh, really impacting and impeding the ability to match consistently. And it's actually, the results were quite telling, to tell you the truth. And again, by focusing on the real-world experiences, um, and we now have data points and actual guidance that we think will make substantial improvements across the entire ecosystem to improve patient matching and doing so with existing technologies. That's the interesting thing. Sometimes we think we need technology and that's the end, um, you know, game to solve a problem. But in this case, the issues are really deeply rooted in data quality issues and Mm -hmm. lack of standardization of identity attributes and things that really had nothing to do with technology, but more or less had to do with the data itself. So now, is this the patient matching, is this going to happen on your network or within the network, or is this just like a best practice for the industry? How will it be implemented? So what we published was a set of guidance. So it was the findings from a case study that Intermountain Healthcare did and with one of their partners mm-hmm. where they really uncovered the root cause of the reasons that they were experiencing poor match results. So what the paper really embodies is a set of guidance that can be implemented by anyone, by all networks by all vendors, by all healthcare organizations, and by standardizing um, the identity attributes used for matching, by improving the quality of the data and the demographic data that's used in matching, it can actually be applied universally. So it's not really unique to any Sequoia work whatsoever. It's something that we put out, we're putting out for public comment. We want to really galvanize the community to come together and take a look at this with a critical eye and to build consensus on what we think are industry-wide best practices that we'd like to see adopted across the board. So it's very, uh, I would say, very much in keeping with the universal 
raising the bar for the entire industry. Excellent. No, that's terrific work. So this that's obvious, that is certainly one use case, but let's dive in a little bit to some of the use cases and the connections that you have under the purview of the Sequoia project. And obviously we'll go into the exchange, the e-health exchange and, and certain into what care quality is doing. But um, talk about, you know, first of all, how have has the participation grown by hospitals, by practices, by vendors, and other key stakeholders? So let's start there. Over the last year, how much have you guys grown? Well, you know, the growth with, let's start with the eHealth Exchange, which is uh, really one of the largest health data sharing networks in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've seen in just uh, just one month, I think there were 10 new participants representing, you know, probably 50 different hospitals just onboarded in one month alone. So we're up to, with that particular initiative, about 38% of all U.S. hospitals, um, tens of thousands of medical groups, 8,300 pharmacies, 3,400 dialysis centers. Those numbers are going to leapfrog even further as other groups come on board. So the interesting thing with the eHealth Exchange, and I think what's um, compelling to you know, the folks listening to this show, is we're starting to see, for the very first time, actual tangible, measurable maturation in the health IT systems used to share data. And we're starting to see that because of that, we don't have to do as much testing to have some assurance of interoperability. So we're seeing not just growth, but an acceleration of groups coming on because the technology platforms they're using are just so much better in terms of being interoperable. So what used to take months Mm. when the eHealth Exchange was in its infancy and supported as an ONC program initiative, and it was, you know, really an infancy for the industry as a whole, um, you know, it would take months to really test and try to work through bugs and issues that were impeding interoperability. Now it's measured in two weeks. It's pretty exciting. (laughs) That's exciting. So let's dive into some of the connections that you guys are enabling um, and then obviously, and then some of the use cases for our communities. So what are some of the specific connections that you guys are, are enabling for, for, for practices, for hospitals and vendors? So, well, the, the types of use cases right now with both the eHealth Exchange and Carry Quality um, are starting with query for documents. So for the eHealth Exchange, that translates to a couple use cases. One is the ability to request and receive clinical documents for care coordination treatment purposes. That includes the ability to treat veterans um, across the vast number of places where they receive care, both within the VA medical centers and outside. And um, I think uh, veterans in particular are very... Uh, mobile group um, mm-hmm. often and receive care in many different places. And so really having the ability to build a longitudinal record by being able to collect and uh, have data about a veteran is important. Um, it also enables the ability for the Social Security Administration to request documents that they need to determine whether or not a beneficiary is truly eligible for disability benefits. And so think about someone who's not capable of working because of a disability. They're not able to receive monetary benefits from the Social Security Administration until they prove they're actually disabled. So in the paper world, that can take six months. And imagine trying to, you know, really live without an income for six months. With that type of connectivity, it allows those records to be retrieved almost instantaneously, accelerating the decision process to just a handful of weeks or two weeks. So it's a big difference there, real human element yeah. of it. And then there's also the ability to transmit quality measures to CMS. So that's a big one as well for their end-stage renal disease. So we like to think of, you know, our initiatives are really enable a multitude of use cases. Those are the initial ones. There's certainly others underway as we speak. 
Yeah, no, and I'm a veteran, so I appreciate all the work that uh, the Sequoia Project does with the VA. <laughs> so, and we appreciate your service. <laughs> thank you. So what are the, some of the business drivers for interoperability? I mean, we, we've had this, um, it's kind of a little bit of a count and mouse. I mean, several of us have, have worked very hard to enable interoperability. We know the importance for, obviously, increasing patient safety and, and increasing quality in, in care and certainly care coordination. But some of it's altruistic. Some of it's just, you know, it, we, we were a little bit early in, in some regards. We didn't have some of the financial drivers uh, pushing us. I believe MACRA uh, will help. The legislation just passed uh, in March. But what are some of your thoughts there? Well, you know, we've seen firsthand what actually impacts the progress and impacts the pace of adoption. And so there have been some real, I would say, incentives um, to promote data sharing meaningful use. It's been helpful yeah. in getting technology in providers' hands and providing an impetus to at least get in the game. Um, there are need for other drivers. You know, the ability to share data with the federal government is a really nice incentive Um and it, there's real value to it. Um, but what we've seen is, and what we believe is going to be game-changing, are really alternative payment models. That's key. And we've seen firsthand how alternative payment models absolutely unlock data sharing. And a perfect example is what Intel has done with their Connected Care program. So Intel, as you know, is a huge employer. They have their own self-funded health plan. And they realized that you know they really wanted to do something different to really get their control on the cost and to have you know, better um, health and care for their beneficiaries. And so they actually started with a pilot in a in one market and uh, are starting to roll it out more broadly where they contract with care providers in key markets where they have beneficiaries and they tie payment to four key measures. So they say in order, you know, to, you know, receive uh, this payment um, and or if you don't meet these measures at the end of the year, you have to pay us back. We are, you know, there were expectations around quality and customer satisfaction and cost and interoperability. So they built interoperability in as an expectation. And I'll tell you, Justin, the results were astounding. Not only did it accelerate the time frame for these healthcare provider organizations to onboard, some of these folks have been in the onboarding queue for six months, eight months. But once there was a strategic priority that was tied to the actual delivery of care and the financing of that, um, it all of a sudden, the strategic prioritization of that drove progress in the pace, um, really accelerated it. That was one part of it. The other thing that was so telling was the substantial use of the connectivity once the connection was in production. Literally, tens of thousands of records were exchanged in just a handful of months after going live. And usually it takes a while, you know, to get that connectivity built into clinical workflow and to work through process and ramp up. And it was almost like overnight. So we've seen firsthand, not anecdotally, but real um, you know, evidence that that's going to make a huge difference. And having that fueled by the federal government in efforts like MACRA, we mm-hmm. think is, is a good thing. No, I agree. And for everyone that may have joined us a little late, my guest today is Marianne Yeager, CEO of the Sequoia Project. So let's talk a little bit about the Sequoia Project's strategic interoperability plan for 2016 and 2017. Where do you guys see yourselves going? Well, for us, we want to make sure we continue to grow our initiatives and build the connectivity. And we measure our success by the growth in connectivity and the improved usability and interoperability of the data exchanged. So that's a really important focus to continue and to continue figuring out, well, what, how can we make it work better, more seamlessly, 
broaden connectivity across different technology platforms and networks. We also, another big init- and, uh, focus is going to be making strides to improve patient matching. So I mentioned we published that guidance. We're really excited about hearing from the broader community and getting input on that guidance. We'd like to finalize it and then come up with really a coordinated uh, rollout to get the, that guidance implemented across the industry. So those are really big priorities for us. Excellent. And talk about connections. Um, you know that I'm, you know, I'm dedicated <laughs> to uh, to connecting and, and really moving forward some connectivity and interoperability with Commonwealth as well. Um, I, I spoke with them a couple of months ago about it. I know you and I have discussed it. So what are some options um, or possibilities? And I know we don't have anything maybe granular yet, but what are some of the directions that might work at some point uh, to connect with Commonwealth? Well, you know, the whole point um, of carry quality is to enable bridging of connectivity between networks. Mm-hmm. Networks like Commonwealth and others, Health Exchange, Epic Care Everywhere, SureScript, Lab Networks, and many other networks. And so we really believe that the carry quality framework provides that neutral, um, interoperable framework that can bridge while allowing innovation to occur at the network level. And so we've had a, a really good dialogue with um, all of these groups for some time. And so we're very hopeful that that will you know, continue to move in that direction and build that network-to-network connectivity. Fantastic. Well, I'm putting pressure on them, so so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, EHR vendors, yeah, obviously I was one um, for decades, uh, are under more pressure than ever to deliver interoperability. Uh, and you know this. Uh, but specifically, you know, how can, you know, Sequoia Project and Care Quality uh, benefit them, uh, and then what are some of the direct benefits of joining uh, Square Project and participating in your initiatives for those EHR vendors? Well, sure. Well, you know, um, EHR vendors are under tremendous pressure. I, I think we all feel that tension, and we want to do whatever we can to enable it. But, I mean, I think we need to acknowledge that EHR systems provide a platform that can be used for interoperable data sharing. The technology alone isn't going to make it happen. Yeah. We need trust among exchange partners and agreed-upon rules of the road. Um, there's governance that you need among exchange partners, so there's accountability, and there's some mechanism and avenue. If there's a disagreement on how the rules are interpreted, there's a place to go that's sort of neutral and fair to, to get that interpretation. There's security that has to cross work across networks and technology platforms. There's also, it's important to respect the rights of individuals and to build public trust, and we, we really can't prosper and enable this you know, widespread interoperability if it's driven by private interests. Rather, it's going to come as a result of really the broader stakeholders coming together and agreeing on an interoperability approach and rules of the road and a process that respects the needs and interests of the entire community, not just one group. So EHR vendors, we think, are essential. They're an essential stakeholder group, but they're not mm-hmm. the only one. Yeah. So we we actually think in uh, that that open interoperability framework that is comes about from a community-driven process like carry quality that is developed through consensus that includes the perspectives of the broadest interests across the industry and government, and that's grounded by an open public mission is the way to go. And so we think that um, we'll start to see more EHR vendors, more networks, more providers, more stakeholders coming forward and really using that carry quality framework to make that happen. I completely agree, and I'm moving people your direction. So what, um, what breakthroughs do you see in interoperability uh, in the next couple of years? What do you think we'll see in the, as an industry? 
You know, we've spent a lot of time the last couple of years getting technology in the hands of providers and getting them connected to a network. But what I think is going to happen in the next year or two is we are finally going to see this network-to-network exchange at scale. So instead of onboarding, you know, six clinics and getting access or connectivity to 50 docs, imagine connecting six networks and getting 100,000 physicians connected that's what we're going to see, and it's exciting because I think it'll it'll be game changing. And I think what we're also going to see is we'll see the focus shifting from getting the connections working to make it better. So having better patient matching, having better content. What are the challenges to getting it built into workflow? What are the issues around consent? And so for us, that's really the heart of what's going to really um, enable interoperability widespread. So I think 2016 is going to be a pivotal year to get to show some real scale in the connectivity. And then I think we'll see the market start to focus on the harder harder and meatier issues. Excellent. Um, And time is flying by. We've got about one minute. So i got two questions in the final minute. Um, Number one, where does the federal government fit into all this? What does Congress need to do, if if anything? And what about HHS and ONC? We know Congress has an important oversight role to make sure that the legislation and regulatory frameworks are effective and those we have in place. But really what I think we would benefit from is good leadership from HHS and ONC to help identify and set priorities and to galvanize industry. So I think supporting and bolstering industry efforts would help. Excellent. Great answer. Um, So in closing, I always ask this question of my guests. What's your favorite place to get or be inspired how do I get inspired? Um, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by people. Um, I'm inspired by the prospect of being able to help veterans who served our country. They have very complex care. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll benefit when there's a longitudinal record that transcends all the places where they receive care. I'm inspired by people I see in the community who have mental and behavioral health disorders. Um, there's that inextricable link between mental and physical health that we know will only be aided by better coordinated care. And I'm inspired by kids. I'm in, I think we owe it to our children to have a connected and coordinated system of care. I think we can do better. So whenever I need inspiration, um, I can find it wherever I go. <laughs> I love it. I love your attitude, and that's why I love to work with you, Marianne. Thank you here, so Justin. much. Thank you. Uh, it was great to have you as my guest today, and I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join the show. Uh, and for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us today, and please tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my content will be posted on my website at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week. <laughs>